And, and yeah, I am the one cheering for the snow that comes. One thing I really appreciate about the Northeast is there's four seasons. I grew up in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest. There were two seasons, light rain and heavy rain. And so this is, this is great. Um, I'd like to begin by saying thank you for two things. As we were introduced, Lynn and I work at Boston University with Chi Alpha Campus Ministry. A, we call it Above the Haze at Boston University. Ministry to secular um, university students, Thomas and Cassie, are partners with us in that work. And we want to thank you because from the beginning, when we came to Boston, Mount Hope was one of our partners supporting that work. And as a result, there are students all over, or alumni now, all over this country that are serving Jesus because of your partnership with us on the campus. And um, this is a, a unique time. I'll talk about that in a moment. But we really appreciate you walking with us through that. Thank you a second time because as we came out here across the country, knowing a few people and then having a lot of those people we know move away really soon afterwards, uh, this has been our home. And so we really appreciate this community, being able to be a part of this community, your encouragement, sharing life with you and the rest. Um, that as much as anything has made it possible for us to minister long-term here. So thank you on, on both of those areas. It is an interesting time for all of us. The last year and a half before this fall, we were campus ministers without a campus. Uh, we were on a missions trip in Puerto Rico when uh, COVID began to spread in large numbers across the United States. I remember picking up our missionaries at the airport, taking them to their resident hall rooms so that they could pack their bags and get back on a plane to go home. Last year, students could meet on campus and some did, but they didn't go to classes. You can talk to Justin Joseph at some point. He got to teach last year to mostly empty classes. The students would stay in their resident hall rooms, get the lectures. They were on campus because of the lab equipment and the opportunities they couldn't get at home, but the campus just looked like a desert. In that time, two generations of students graduated. On campus, it's, it's important that we minister to each generation. So we started this year with one returning student. It was like beginning over. But what it's done for us is we've looked at both what has been effective and, and ineffective. And we're looking at this moment and asking ourselves, what do we need to do to reach this group of hurting students that are on campus? What do we need to do to motivate a generation that really does want to make a difference in this world? It's one of the things I love about working with this group of, of college students. If they have something that looks reasonable in front of them, they will roll up their sleeves and they will make a difference. And so one of the interesting things right at this particular moment is that there's a lot of things that we're doing on campus. Bible studies, we have a weekly meeting. Um, we just did a, a faith and science outreach. We're going to be doing these topical outreaches on a, a regular basis. There's one-to-ones going on. You can't come to any one thing and see our community right now. In, in fact, it's a little bit like Mount Hope. 
there are more of us than are represented on a Sunday morning right now, but there are dynamic things going on in a lot of places. We're hoping to bring a lot of those folks together because community is a major goal of Jesus, to bring us together in communities of love. But it's an interesting time. And so pray with us. And um, as we've been looking at why we're on campus, as we've been looking at how to reshape things, as a ministry, we've been camping out in the book of Galatians. And what I'd like to do this morning is to share three tent poles out of that that have really helped give us direction in the things that we are doing. So uh, let me pray. Lord, I thank you that a time like this is not a surprise to you. Lord, for those of us who have many decades under our belt, the one reality we all know is that change is a constant and that we have had so many things thrown at us through life that you have somehow got us through. And in the midst of change, instead of just surviving, Lord, you somehow make us thrive. And so I pray as we look at Galatians, as we think about our situation right now, Lord, that you would give us insight and guidance on where you are taking us. I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've got your scriptures with you, turn to Galatians 1. That's page 172 in the, the Bibles that are in front of you. And I'm going to start there. Because what Galatians does is it gives us a situation, it gives us a response, and it gives us our largest obstacle to fulfilling that response. And so in the situation, Galatians 1, 3 through 5, I'm going to read out of the NIV because I'm more comfortable with it, but it's pretty much the same words. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, it doesn't take much imagination to realize that something's wrong. We're living in a time period that is extremely fragmented, polarized, angry, and ripping people apart. As I work with students, as I work with people in the community, there's things that are easy to see. We're trapped in small ideas. We're trapped in emotional cages of guilt and regret. For many of us, we're, we're trapped in obsessive self-consciousness. I remember as a kid in grade school and high school, the way I walked through life, it, it, from my perspective, it was like there were three cameras that were following me everywhere I went. And I was trying to get a view of myself through each of those cameras because I was sure that everybody was judging me at every move and I didn't want to screw up. And if I screwed up, everybody would see that. And I remember a speaker years ago saying that, you know, when, when you're 20, you think everybody is watching you. When you're 40, you could care less than anybody's watching you. And then when you're 60, you suddenly realize that nobody was watching you in the first place. 
We are all so obsessively aware of our exterior. And that becomes a trap to us over time. Social media has not helped that. And we will come to a place, I believe, where we'll kind of come of age and our use of social media is so new to us right now. But most of the time, it's a window that gives us a false picture of everybody else's perfection. And then as we try to present our life, we know it's not that good. We don't want to show everything that's going on. And so we doctor it to make it look better. And all of that emotionally traps us. It limits the way we feel about ourselves and our freedom of movement among other people. The Sparks, a, a rock band. There was recently a documentary uh, that was put out. And if you get a chance, it's, it's worth watching. This is the band that none of you know about, but you, they have shaped your life. And sometimes it's good for us to know that's out there. But there's one line in one of their songs that really caught my attention. The line says, I'm borderline attractive from afar. Love that line. That's how I feel most of the time. I'm borderline attractive from afar, but I can't stay afar. I have to be near you. The reality is we are made to be in community. We have to have other people in our lives. But when we have that slavery of self-consciousness there, we're always at tension. And our freedom is taken away. And a lot of what Paul talks about in each of these is the freedom we lose. And then he comes to this great crescendo at one point in Galatians. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. No longer subject to the yoke of slavery. And with sin, in Galatians, Paul is willing to name all these things. These are the slaveries that we find in our life. Legalism and self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is basically this quest to prove that we are good enough for everybody else. We are good enough for God just to take us the way we are. We don't need forgiveness. We've earned it. It's ours. Self-righteousness is most pronounced when we feel like we're not up to snuff. We know we're a fraud, but we need to put a facade out there and make it look like we're worth loving and that we're worth the time other people would spend on us. Politics and, and power. Um, Jesus' disciples, at, just before he ascended into heaven, came and asked him, are, are you a, is your kingdom about to come? And his answer to them basically is, you still got it wrong. This isn't about politics. This is about the spirit and power. And yet we're in a culture right now that is so polarized around political issues and the rest. We're missing the solution and the way of freedom that Jesus is bringing towards us and instead running to more and more captivity and slavery. The present age is divisive, hostile, polarizing, and entrapping. And I just encourage you, if you have any of them, throw away your conspiracy theories right now because you really don't need them. 
the world is bad enough without them. These problems are not new. They came the very moment we walked away from God the first time. But we are living in a time period where people are so fragmented that we're seeing the pain and the suffering from it in ways that we haven't seen for a long time. This is an opportunity moment. People are feeling the pain and there is no competing answer out there that is solving anything. The competing answers, the first time I, in my lifetime I've seen, all of them are only making us feel worse. Only Jesus has an answer out of our present situation and our present trap. And so when Paul gets there, he has something really radical to say. In Galatians 5, 6, this has become our main scripture of this year for us at, at Chi Alpha. In the second half of the verse, it says, the only thing that counts. Now, that gets my attention because Paul only says that once. The only thing that counts. The first time I read this, there were a lot of things that flooded into my, into my mind to finish that sentence, but this is the way he finishes it. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's not your power. It's not what you know. It's faith expressing itself through love. I hope all of us continue to grow in our theology because it helps us to see the world the way it is. It helps us to know how to follow Jesus, what his character is, how to be like Jesus. But when you die and stand before Jesus, he's not going to hand you a theology test. And we can all say, thank you. Because the one thing I've learned over time is the more I know about God, the more I understand that I don't understand. He is so much bigger than I ever imagined him to be. But Jesus does say, if you are my disciple or if you believe in me, you will love as I loved. The one thing that matters is faith expressed in love. The only thing that changes our life for the good, the only thing that will change the world for good is faith expressed in love. Anger, power, hatred, trying to pass laws to force people to act in ways that they don't believe, none of that is going to make a lasting difference. But Jesus' love changed history. Jesus' love changed everything about my life. And as we look at the pain and the suffering in the world that's around us, it is still the only answer. And the amazing thing, and we sang this in, in several of these songs, the most amazing thing is for me, somebody who is still wounded, still healing, still growing, I get to participate in Jesus' rescue work of healing the world around me. I love being in campus ministry. And, and it could be any ministry because I get to see people far away from Christ whose lives are in chaos and see God bring them freedom, build them up, give them back the opportunities that 
the world ripped away from them. There is no greater adventure in the world than to be in a place of ministry where someone needs more love than you can give them and God reaches through you and touches them. More than anything, that's why I believe in Jesus and follow him. And that's open to each and every one of us. I said, though, that Paul is also giving us a warning because there's something that can get in the way of that. And for the Galatians, he talks about them being bewitched by a false gospel that is getting in between them and getting in between what God wants them to do in the world. And a false gospel is any gospel that includes something that gets between you and Jesus. Jesus came to reconcile himself to us and then to reconcile us to each other. And so that that final act of reconciliation, if there's a gospel that gets in the way of that reconciliation, of that fellowship, then there's something wrong with it. And in his day, there was this group of Christians that were of Jewish background that came in and said, you basically need to keep the old law that Jesus fulfilled. You need to be circumcised. You need to practice these holidays. And unless a Gentile goes through all those things, they can't be part of us. In fact, you can't even eat with them anymore. And Paul said, Jesus came to bring us forgiveness, to get to fulfill the law, to show us that the laws and our self-righteousness and the rest only got in the way, that the only thing that would change us is Jesus' forgiveness and Jesus' love and the reconciliation, the life with Jesus that would come as a result. And so today we need to make sure if we believe with Paul that the only thing that matters is faith expressed in love, then we've got to be careful of these false gospels. One of them was self-righteousness, this idea that you could earn your salvation and prove to God that you were good enough. I am here today because I finally stopped fighting and trying to prove things and came to the God that I didn't understand before who said, I already know you can't do this. I have to move first. I have to give of myself and allow you to have forgiveness before we can ever have reconciliation. One of the great freedoms in my life is I can tell you right now, I am screwed up. I will die screwed up. Now, one of the great things with the gospel is I found acceptance in the middle of that. And as a result, I found growth. So there's things that my whole life I struggled with that Jesus has changed. And so it's not like this is an excuse for me just to be a loser all my life. It took realizing that Jesus' forgiveness was the only avenue for life for me to succeed. And any time we put any other rules or the rest in between ourselves and Jesus, you can't come to Jesus until you wear these clothes or until you believe all these different things. I barely knew Jesus the day I met him. That was all a process. And so we need to be a community of reconciliation that makes it possible, that removes every unnecessary obstacle between people and Jesus. Secondly, this was a gospel 
of trying to please legalistic, rigid, unloving, and mistaken Christians. And that's really important here. Paul makes, minces no words. This group that has come in are self-righteous. They're legalistic. They are divisive people. And today, we have that same tension. We have a lot of loud voices within the Christian community that are preaching more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to remember that the one we need to please is Jesus, not the rigid, legalistic, unloving, mistaken Christians around us, no matter how loud their voice is. And I'll be honest, my tendency is I want to be polite. They're really loud. And I'm sometimes hesitant. I, I don't want to use their tactics. I don't want to be loud in the same way. But if we don't speak out, that false gospel wins. And the wrong Jesus Christ is revealed to people. Now, that doesn't mean I need to go out and get billboards and things like that, but it means I need to actually know my neighbors and spend time with them and be able to share with them about this other Jesus and experience life. We have a student right now who's very far away from Jesus. Got a number of identity issues she's dealing with. But she shared with us the other day, she comes with us on a lot of our activities. She's gone from very shy and withdrawn to very open and, and with us. And she said, you know, my friends think I'm crazy because I hang out with a group of Christians. But I think you guys are really cool and, and I'm hoping that I can bring them to the next activity. And she's still got a long ways to go to know Jesus, but she is so much more open today than she was two months ago. And so I want to remove those obstacles. I don't want to give voice to the legalism, the rigidity, the unloving and mistaken Christians. And third is a false gospel of avoiding sinners. I love the story in Luke 5 where Jesus reaches out to Levi, a tax collector and a sinner. And the first thing that Levi does after he responds to Jesus and embraces him is he throws a party and invites all of his other sinner friends to it. And as Jesus is in this party, the Pharisees are out on the sidewalk talking to some of the disciples. I've always wondered why those disciples are out on the sidewalk and not in the party. But they're all complaining. Who is this Jesus? He hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. Doesn't that mean that he's a sinner? And somehow the word gets to Jesus and he comes out and he goes, you know, I came for the sick, not the healthy. And so I need to hang out with the sick. And I think for the Pharisees, there's two rebukes in that. One is they all assumed that they were healthy and they weren't. They needed Jesus as much as everybody in that party. But the second one is, is God had given the leaders of the Jewish people the task of reconciling the world, of bringing health, of bringing light. And here all they were, they were and, and they wouldn't interact with the very people that God had assigned them to. They were too good to be with these people. It would rub off and, and, and they'd be hated by God somehow if they did God's mission. The question for us is we come out of quarantine. Is how are we going to come out and how are we going to live? 
the next six months to a year are really important for us. What kind of community are we going to be? Right now, Mount Hope exists in a lot of different forms all over the place. And that was because of a lot of creativity that was necessary because of the emergency at the moment. And I'm just going to give a lot of credit to the Mount Hope staff. They got really creative. And the amount of hours that it took to implement that creativity and the rest. And a number of you were part of that. But now as we come back together, how do we interact with other people? How many pre-Christian friends do you have in your life? I go out of my way to hang out in certain social settings because I know there's going to be people there that aren't like me. And that's the only way they're ever going to find out about Jesus is if a believer is hanging out with them someplace. Hospitality is a huge ministry gift to be able to open our house to other people. Uh, Thanksgiving, um, we always have students that can't get home during Thanksgiving. And so um, even though we haven't seen most of our kids for a couple months, they'll come home for Thanksgiving. It's not going to be just a family gathering. We're, we're going to have students from campus that haven't found a home. And Usually it means anywhere from 15 to 30 students that are collected for Thanksgiving. And some of them, we meet them that day for the first time because somebody within our group who got to go home heard that they couldn't and bring them in. And, you know, most of them don't believe what we believe at this point. A lot of them have never really heard much about Jesus. They may be following other religions. But in those moments of faith expressed in love, change happens. People get transformed. As we rejoin each other here on Sundays, you know, we, we meet together for a lot of different reasons, but part of it is because we believe in reconciliation and we believe in faith expressed in love and that builds new communities. And so in order to love, you actually have to be together. And so we come together and have these times and as God ministers to us here, we go out and we minister in the rest of our mission field, the rest of the world that we live in. And so this is a special moment for us. What are our key values and how do we emerge from a time like this? Paul says, it's only one thing, faith expressed in love. How do we creatively and inventively do that as a group of people? It's fun to fellowship with this group because when it comes to the false gospels, we see them all outside, and all of us struggle with that a little bit, but those haven't been our defining features. And I'll be honest, regardless of what you think, again, we're all self-conscious, I can't think of a better group of people that I would want my friends to meet who don't know Jesus Christ. And so how creatively do we become that community that not just people come here, but we invade the rest of the community, the places we live? And so we acknowledge that like every other age, but we've got some real peculiar problems for the moment. We are part of the largest rescue team in human history. 
joining Jesus as he rescues people from the very real slavery that all of us have lived in. The things that Paul mentions here are not extraordinary. We've all felt them. And without Jesus, they become traps and cages and they drag us down. But we can bring freedom through Jesus Christ as we live as a community that expresses faith through love. And so I'm excited right now. I mean, one, one side, we might all be a little tired of wearing masks, tired of all the change that we've had to go through, but we have not had many moments like this in history where what we do over the next six months and a year could radically transform not just our community, but the whole community we live in. The world needs what Jesus has as much as it did yesterday. They haven't put the two together, but they need it more today. Let's pray. If the, if the worship team would come forward. Lord, I am excited about the possibilities in front of us right now. Lord, on one side, uh, you need to teach us how to be a community again. And with the things that we've gone through in the rest, I think you've given us some strength and some new creativity. And you've certainly given us a hunger. And so, Lord, as we come out of quarantine, teach us how to be together again. And then, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to be a community that would express your love beyond our boundary. You came to rescue the world. And you have put us in the world to continue to be your hands and your feet and your mouthpiece. And so, Lord, we pray that you teach us. Again, we sang about new wine. We need new wine. We need to learn from the experience of the moment. Give us new eyes to see the possibilities. And give us your patience to walk with some of the people around us for the long haul. I have so many friends that follow you now that didn't respond the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time. It took five years for me. But because of your faithfulness for your community, I have experienced your love. Lord, help us to break with the rest of the world Give up on the anger, the divisiveness. Give up on the name-calling. Give up on banning people because they say the wrong word at the wrong time. Lord, let us have a community that allows people to be messy as they come to know you. And I pray, Lord, we would be known as a community of love and joy. And Lord, I give you thanks for that because I know it will happen if we're willing. In Jesus' name, amen.